are listening to Confessions of a High School Bible Teacher. Hey everybody, this is Christopher Seals, and sitting next to me on the plush Victorian red couches is... Me, Wayne Randolph. And uh, back again, we have our really good friend, Dr. Nate, Dr. Nate Turner. Say hi, Dr. Nate Turner. I'm not going to do the cheesy thing, but <laughs> thanks for the nice setup. Chris. Okay, no, good. It's good to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Um, are you guys ready, Dr. Nate? Are you ready for your very first uh, cheesy contrived intro to the podcast? Oh, happily. Okay, good. I seriously look forward to these all week long. Like, what's he going to say? What's he going to say? So I'm, I'm, I'm low-key jealous right now. Have fun. Let's have it. Hey, Dr. Nate, have you ever heard of a guy named Hippocrates? I have. Um, have, you, have you ever heard of the four humors? I have. Yeah. Um, Wayne, can you name the four humors off the top of your head? Nope. Can you name any of them? Not right now. Nope. <laughs> Nate, how many of them can you? I, I know. Isn't there black and yellow bile? There's black and yellow bile. Um, There's something akin, much akin to mucus. Is it green? Kind of green. I don't know. I think oh. it's actually yellowish. Um, it's it's phlegm. Phlegm. Which they b- believe that was secreted from the brain, I believe. And then the last one is probably the most obvious liquid. Blood. Blood. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So we have blood, yellow bile, and black bile, and phlegm. Um, and a lot of our character, they believed, were imbalances of these different... Of these different humors. Um, and this dates all the way back to like the 4th or 5th century BC. Um, and... What's interesting is if you look up the way to say black bile in Greek, it's um, a combination of two words, um, melas, which means dark or black, and kole, which is bile. So the word melancholy or melancholia that we have Mm -hmm. is actually, back in the day, was believed to be an overabundance of black bile. And so we're here to do a podcast entirely on black bile. Here we go. Let's... Do it. <laughs> um, no, but seriously, um, we, we are talking about, about a blout. We're talking about black bile um, because uh, this idea of melancholia and um, the, the word that is attached to it that everyone throws around is depressed or depression. Um, and as, as high school teachers, even um, when, uh, whenever Wayne and I are in our classrooms, actually Wayne stepped into my room the other day and was like, hey, um, what, what's something that you guys feel like you need to hear more about? Um, and almost instantly one of them said depression, Hmm. depression is the thing that we need to hear about. And so we realized that, um, if the teenagers are sensing this need, that this is something that needs to be talked about, then I'm sure the parents and teachers are, um, also feeling the same need. So, yeah. And even just coming off our last episode talking about, um, this idea of, um, joy and fake and false joy, um, within our Christian culture. And maybe the need to, or the, the this feeling we have, right, to, to put on the, the happy face. Um, I think this is an important talk um, this evening on this podcast and, and hopefully moving forward as well. Because um, beyond, beyond the fake it till you make it idea that sometimes comes across in our Christian culture is, is some very serious um, issues uh, of depression. And ones that are quite often, I would say, above our pay grade, mm-hmm. uh, right, as we're... And so I think... 
at least for me, one one of the goals going into this conversation tonight is is learning how to be equipped mm. um, to. Um, you know, I, I don't want to step on your toes, uh, Nate, and use the word intake um, because that's not what we're okay. qualified to do. But I, sure. I feel like we are that initial front line. A lot of more lot often of than first not, responders like we're first responders. And yeah, and definitely. so whatever that whatever the term that is, you know, maybe uh, still respects your doctorate uh, <laughs> that we need to we need to use for for intake. But I, I, I'm kind of hoping that's where the, the talk goes tonight. Okay. So I'm helping us identify it, uh, and by identify it too, I don't mean like all of it, right? But but like no. How do we see it enough to know when we need to ask for your help uh, and your okay. colleagues' help, yeah. right? And so at least right. I think that's that's an agenda I have for this one. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, one maybe a place that we can start is I think that all of us in life experience sadness at some points. I mean, if we've watched the Disney movie Inside Out, um, it's one of our fundamental characters. She wears blue, um, but sadness. Um, I think that sadness. And depression can be confused, right? Yeah. Like I think that even in our students' vernacular, it's, yeah. man, um, my dog died, I'm depressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe could you help kind of disambiguate that for us? Because I'm even a little confused as to perhaps what's the difference between sadness, okay. prolonged sadness, yeah. depression, mild depression. And people throw around these words like, I'm mildly depressed. And I'm like, I... I don't know what that means. Like, yeah. does that mean you're on, on Medicaid? Yeah. Who, who yeah. gave you this information you're about? So maybe could you, could you help clarify for us? Um, I don't know. What is sadness versus depression and how do, I mean, how do we even, what's some vocabulary we can use to distinguish these things? Okay. Yeah. And definitely we can, we can delve both into the technical and the personal, right? Because the first thing to do when you don't know what somebody means by what they're saying is to, is to ask them is to unpack that. Right. Um, well, like, how long have you felt that way? How intense has it gotten for you? How bad has it gotten? Um, those are simple questions that can help unpack and unravel a, a really um, dense terms. Like, well, what do yeah. you mean yeah, right. by that? What's in that that you know knot of of meaning that that you have there? Can I interrupt you for one second? Yeah. Too, I was just thinking too, just how important Chris's question is for a lot of us who are in the classroom. And this has come up before in other podcasts, but um, many of us who work with with students are also mandated reporters, and so it's so important, right, right for us to know. Um, even just thinking about this, right, and even those those questions to ask a student because yeah. there comes a point where you know I, I'm mandated, right, um, and so yeah. So just even just you're saying just asking clarifying questions mm-hmm. at the beginning. Obviously, you've got more. I interrupted you, and work. well, and definitely ask those clarifying questions and. Um, the the mental health professionals are going to say, well, if you have a concern, refer, right? Stay within your boundaries of competence. Stay within your training and refer to your school counselor. Refer to your school psychologist. And there's a lot of wisdom in that. The, the pinch that I can see getting into as an educator is, well, I have the relationship. Yeah. And I have the rapport. So starting out with the experiential side and then coming over, we'll augment that maybe with the technical side. The experiential side is that relationship really matters. Mm. We talked, you know, when we talked before, we talked about relationship a lot and how to pick up on what somebody's giving you in that moment. And they're giving it to you in that statement of I'm depressed or I'm sad and it may even just show up as anger. And that would be kind of one initial point that I would make about recognizing depression mm. is it's going to show up as anger and irritability more often in children and adolescents. Mm. It's not that it doesn't happen in adults, but more pronounced in, in 
the folks that you're interacting with in the classroom. Yeah, and that's, I feel like that's really um, important. And I, I feel like even Wayne has some maybe some stories about how this like what this looks like and can manifest. But um, something that you said uh, about 30 seconds ago that I feel like is really important to draw attention to is that you even mentioned for teachers like stay within your area of competence, competency and like maybe refer to your school psychologist. Um, and for most public school teachers, that is an option for them. Um, but for those of us who are in the private sector, okay. um, there is there is less funding for those sorts of things. Yeah. I mean, I, as as someone in a private school, our teacher, our, our school has someone who is set aside to help with students who have learning disabilities. Mm -hmm. um, and we have one guy on staff and he's great at what he does. Um, but there's one guy on staff to help with kids with learning disabilities. And, um, and when I talk to people at other Christian schools or other private schools, they're like, wow, you have that. That's a big deal. Okay. And so even the idea of having a, like a school psych psychologist, when we hear mandated reporter are like, there is, there are not like higher levels of support mm -hmm. oftentimes mm -hmm. in our context, but it's like, it goes straight from us to a call to CPS. Huh. Like that's, yeah. that's the chain. Or maybe we call the principal who then yeah. calls CPS. And so I think that, yeah, like figuring out what to do on our level is really important because especially for our, our Christian cult teachers and even maybe people who are working in churches that aren't like the larger churches with more staff, they're probably going to run into the same issue, okay. right? Not yeah. having that in-house extra support. Yeah. Um, yeah. And sorry, that kind of changes the subject, takes us back a little, but there was the depression versus anger stuff. Well, and, it, and it also, you're just, you're giving more context for us, right? You're giving more context for, for why, why this is so pertinent <laughs> to our situation. So it's, it's extremely pertinent. So it's, you're in yet another pinch of, well, what do I do? You want me to stay in my, you know, kind of stay on my number right. and all of this stuff. And not in a pejorative way, but in a way that protects both you and the student. Everybody, yeah, um, yeah. And so, I guess talking quickly about referrals and how to find people in your community, that should probably be a, a training. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. You and know, we, to be we, honest we, with you. We cover it um, real, real quickly mm -hmm. uh, at our school. And I, I believe that we have somebody, like, in essence, like on retainer. Good. Kind of like we have somebody that we can, yeah. we can refer out to right away. Um, yeah, I want to get back to something you said and ask you a question. Um, can you quickly answer, can you give a quick answer as to why, why anger um, so mm. often is, a, is an initial sign of depression? Is there, it, well, that might be ignorant. Is there, is there a quick answer to that that could fit on a podcast? Or? Let's, let's try. I don't know <laughs> if it'll come a cross perfectly but um summarize well, your we last were, nine years of school we, <laughs> in two minutes Nate, <laughs> go. go that that'd be oh no i yeah. hate to say it'd be a great oral exam but i'm glad they don't do those uh. so much anymore um so we were talking just before we yeah. flipped on the the switch about de one classical depression definition is anger turned inward mm. and so i could rephrase your question a little bit to be why is it anger mm. why is it anger and not you know, fear. Why is it anger yeah. and not shame? Yeah. And definitely we get into semantic difficulties with these kinds of things. Um, but anger is, as I understand it and like to boil it down, anger is a message that something needs to change. Anger is a, it's an energetic response to something that's wrong. We talked last time about protest, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and infants and how this is a, a way they express anger. So you can think of depression as being stuck. 
when emotions get stuck, mm. they're not doing what they're essentially designed to do, which mm. is to be in motion, emotion, emotion. Right, right. They're supposed to move and move through. Right. But when you can't move through emotion, you are, you are stuck with them and they're not doing what they're intended to do. They're intended to solve problems. Right. So anger is supposed to solve the problem mm. of something that needs to change. So when you're encountering an adolescent who is depressed, there's something they can't change. So they're stuck. They're stuck. And now they're angry about it, rightfully so. It's interesting. I think you even started to give us a clue on the definitions between um, depression and sadness. And so this idea (laughs) of sadness, like, I mean, I can ask my class, any of our classes, Mm -hmm. how many of you have been sad before? And everybody should raise their hand because that is... As a part of being human, right? Um, but this idea of this, like the fluidity of our emotion. Yes. Like, and so, yes, yes sad, sadness comes, right. and then with sadness, hopefully, comes, right? What, you know, the message the of sadness is, is, you know, to honor the, that you lost something. Right. Yeah. You to know, acknowledge is, is to it, grieve. to recognize it, yeah. and then, and yeah. there's an action potential yeah. that goes with each But again, emotion. like you said, like there's, there's a, that idea, I like that because there's an idea that flows. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, when we get stuck, when we get in a rut with our emotions, um, yeah. Yeah, that's and, and I, so I, one one symptom of depression, right, is lack of motivation, right? It's maybe a loss of interest. Another symptom. Yeah, we're talking about lack. We're talking about loss. These. This is what it is to be stuck. Okay. You know, when we're we're stuck. Wow. Um, a depressed mood is an enduring feeling state. That's the difference between a, a mood and a feeling. Is right. that the mood? Is just a long-lasting feeling state, a, right. a, a kind of a tint, a bias yeah. towards experience. Interesting, and I, I love that you even um, like even the the adjectives you used um, a, a second ago, um, where maybe we would think of of depression, maybe not manifesting as anger, but more as um, like you said, like 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 afraid, right, or shy, or timid. Like we kind of have this like image in our mind, yeah. and, and I say I'm saying we, but I have an image in my mind that I have. <laughs> Heard other people affirm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Glad for that. <laughs> Sorry, I think <laughs> uh, sometimes I speak on behalf of we, and that's you know that's a little bold. But <laughs> but I have this image in my mind of of, of the depressed you know kid or yeah. uh, or you know yeah. I go back to my my era and you know I, I grew up in the grunge mm. and so we had we had a lot of we were all depressed. Yes. But it was cool. Yes, um, <laughs> depression is but, is still cool in yeah, its, its own way cool. yeah, today. Yeah, yeah because yeah, you're, you're very different ways, but, and that that gets a lot of negative. But, but I just think ahead. it's interesting. I, I just think it's interesting that you that it's. Well, let me just say it. I think often as, as people who work around teenagers, we might see a quiet kid, a shy kid, a, a shy, shy kid, a, a removed kid. Yeah. Um, and we might automatically jump to, mm. you know, anecdotally that that kid is depressed. Hmm. Um, and so th- this is really good even for me just to remember like, man, sometimes it's, it's well, not sometimes, often it's, it's the angry kids. It's yeah. those ones who are. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it so. Rightfully clinic- so. Right. Because if you're stuck, what a. And you're 16? Yeah. Right? Yeah. You have no clue who you are. Your frontal lobe's not developed. Yeah. There's Your all these resources hormones. are limited yeah. to face the challenges and now that you're you up don't, against. And, and you don't have those resources that are already limited. You don't have the resources yeah. it takes to get yeah. yourself out of this rut. And, so and you, you may do? have blown up the Angst. very scaffolding that you need right now. Yeah. You know? Like you yeah. blew up that. <laughs> bridges. Yeah. You blew it up. Yeah. You know, with, with your actions, with your words. Mm. But the fact is you're, you're really in an in-between place. And it's, it's a little bit, I mean, the analogy from rock climbing comes in is getting rim rocked where yeah. you can't go up and you can't go down. Yeah. 
and you're stuck and that's a bad place to be um to take it typewriter legs what's that you start getting the typewriter legs yeah that's not and then that's even worse (laughs) um to take it a little bit of a technical direction back to your cold opener chris the the melancholia part break that down one more time how did um they come up with melancholy. So melancholy just is from melas, which is dark, and then um, kole, which is the bile. So it's just okay. an abundance of the dark bile okay. and from the humors. Yeah, so it's really not a helpful <laughs> etymology. But well, yeah. it, it strangely, maybe not strangely, it connects to something in the kind of founding fathers era of psychology. Back to our our buddy Dr. Freud, Sigmund oh. Freud, um, an essay he wrote called "Mourning and Melancholia." Mm. And to boil it down to its its absolute bare bones, he was making a distinction between grief as mm. mourning and the world being empty, whereas in melancholia, it's the ego, the self, that's right. empty. So oh. as we start to think about emptiness, as we right, it's really it's really Wayne just said ominous, and I think that's a great word for, yeah. for what we're talking about. Um, that's part of the i think that's a very lived reality it's very existential mm-hmm. as to what's happening inside the self interesting yeah yeah even like even the idea of that i feel i feel like that's really helpful like the the world being empty at first when you said that i was like nate's being deep again and i'm not exactly <laughs> sure what he's saying um but then it like settled in and says the guy who drops greek like it's no big deal yeah right um but but it was like at first I didn't really get it, but then yeah, thinking about like when we're sad, when we are grieved, when we're mourning, it's because there's this externality, right? There's this something out there in the world with which we usually interact that, that has either lost its meaning or we're grieving the loss of that relationship in our life or that person's death or that thing that occurred outside of us. But then, Mm -hmm. but then to internalize that emptiness and that loss into our own ego, into our own sense of self, like, Dang. Right. Yeah. I'm glad, I'm, and I'm glad you said it. Yeah, it's extremely existential. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> what's going on, right, internally. And, and man, you know, Nate, this, this came up, we're kind of all over the place, but this, this came up in our last episode. I, I kind of talked about in the beginning of, of this, man, there's almost a, a, a fake and false joy in a lot of the Christian culture. Mm. You have a huge part of, our, of the, the Christian family that probably is more in line with the, the self-help um, books and, and, and speeches and talks in our culture that, that we're somewhat obsessed with. Um, you know, I, I mean, to the point where like people like, it sounds like we go to church to show other people that we're okay. Like, like we're fake. Right. And so when you add that extra layer um, for some of us, some of us within the Christian faith, you add the extra layer of um, I'm kind of faking it till I make it. And yeah. now I don't know what the yeah. crap is going on inside. Yeah. Where in the world do you go? You know what I mean? Like, and then that I can just imagine. And I, I, I myself and my youth have, have battled some of these ideas. Mm-hmm. And um, I uh, probably thank God I can't really access a lot of the emotion attached to some of it. But I can remember feeling like where, like not only where do I go with this, but but when you start thinking that, you spiral even further down because yeah. it, you're just reinforcing to yourself how yeah. alone you are. Yeah. Um, which you know, I'll take that back, you know, almost full circle back to us as teachers. And in private schools where we are yeah. teacher, mentor, discipler, yeah. coach, you yeah. know, um, 
when those kids come to us mm-hmm. and, and we might be that only person mm-hmm. that they threw out a little, just a little, like a little breadcrumb trail of yeah. I'm, I'm so depressed or whatever this is, you know, trying to get into that emotion, remembering that, like just how helpless that they feel like that's probably scary as crap for some kids to come and do. Yeah. Which is even more so why this is so important. Yeah. Um, but that loneliness, yeah, that's important. Do you guys oh. ever get the the feeling when you're talking with with one of your students that as you're talking with them, they're like retreating inside. They're almost drawing away. They're distancing into kind of a a, a place that's not so present mm. with you as you're talking with them. Does that does that happen with I you mean, guys? Yeah, I can definitely think of some of those experiences okay. where um, they've come and it. I, I think that one of the temptations of being within Christian culture is that they come to us because like we're the Bible teacher and we've talked about heavy things and real things. And so it's like, well, of course I go talk to the Bible teacher and then almost like there's this almost pressure as a Bible teacher to feel like I then need to feed into the narrative and like give the good Christian answers. Yeah. Here, here's a verse and here's a theological point. Um, and, um, and in those times, I feel like there's almost like a weird space that is created between um, that student and I that, that it's like yes. they came looking for the answers. And then in that process, they they kind of like there's a disconnection because they're realizing that that's super unhelpful and I'm yeah. not actually really connecting with anything that they need. And then yeah. disappointment, disconnection, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah, that's big. And I, I would just answer the same question that, that Nate asked. Um, I kind of chuckle when you ask that, Nate. Um, We've, I think we've mentioned a few times Enneagram. Um, yeah. So I, I, I am, uh, from what I understand, a poster child for, for the number seven um, as someone who avoids pain and, and a lot because of trauma that I've been through. Um, so I am really quick. Actually, Chris and I were having this talk today. Um, I'm really quick to recognize um, the um, similar tactics that I okay. use. And, I, and I, I mean that more, again, anecdotally. Like, I, this is not what I've studied, but I've... Yeah. I have, I'm 43. I've lived this. This has been my reality for a while. And so I immediately can tell when a kid is going to their, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in my mind, going back in a shell, it's a safe place. It's like, and I I think Chris kind of said it. It's like they came hoping for something. And when they started to get the same prescription, Mm. the same, that same narrative that that maybe it's been bothering them anyways. (laughs) Yeah. When, when they start to get that, yeah, they retreat. The eyes gloss over. They're they're gone. Yeah, and it's like, and it's, for some of us, we feel like we we miss that opportunity, that window. You know, it's so yes, it's we really have seen that. it's really hard to encounter that. It's it's kind of like feeling that you had a chance and it slipped through. Yeah, and, and some kids, Nate, are super. It's not even just like. Like you asked, like, did we notice, right? And so, th- I mean, there there are times where you have to really be in tune, yeah. and seeing kind of, you know, yeah. if they're inviting us into the conversation. There are some kids that the minute you get into any sort of emotional subject, like uh-huh. the very normal emotion, the fluidity of emotion, like we were talking about yeah. earlier. I mean, I think about a few students even last year, just so stinking aloof, yeah, like can't even give you a definitive answer. Um, I mean, I've had kids like, how are you feeling? And I've I've answered this as well. well, But but like for a year, I had a kid saying, I don't know how to answer Uh, that. uh, uh I don't know what to do with that. Yeah. For a year. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's painful to see. Tell me what to do, Nate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that's very much the the pull that pulls both therapists and educators is 
tell me what to do is I'm lost. Like fix this for me, help me with this. And, and oftentimes, um, especially with, um, adolescents, they'll know more what they don't want than what they do want. That's their phase of life. That's, that's right on. They're not wrong for that. Um, and that's sometimes a great place to start <laughs> in, oh, so in validating and I think we've found that a lot, even just yeah. teaching theology. Yeah. That sometimes mm-hmm. just talking about like what God isn't is actually easier to talk about who he is. And so I think yeah. the kids are kind of used to that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It helps them eliminate some of the potential answers. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we're kind of talking about screening. We're talking about how to develop our our gut sense and some initial abilities for initiating help um in order to approach that like let me back up to a little bit of um what i was doing before the um before the court stuff the forensic stuff um was doing weekly individual psychotherapy uh predominantly with with adolescents um i'd say majority of of whom had some form of uh Mood disorder diagnosis, your mood disorders are depression, uh, bipolar disorder, and and the like. Um, And many of them had been psychiatrically hospitalized for being a danger to themselves or possibly a danger to others. Um, And and also, so individual therapy and group therapy. Um, What would typically happen in the beginning is... You do the intake, and we mentioned the word intake before. It's usually done uh, initially with parent and child, review informed consent, limits of confidentiality, and you get the questions answered that you need the parent for. Gathering evidence. Gathering information. Gathering information, yeah. Gathering the story, and, and then you walk the parent back to the waiting room so that the, the client can be the client. The client is the adolescent, right? right? And and then you get quote unquote the real story, um, and so you're you're watching. I remember those. Yeah, you're you're watching very closely for the body language of of your for your case a student or for my case a client. You're watching very closely as to what's going on, and in order to kind of differentiate between like a a mental health professional intake process and a dialogue that you're having after class. Right with the student. Um, you can also watch for the body language and oh, you yeah, can, but I'm not float. touching half the questions you're asking and, yeah, and for sure. Right. And you, well, you don't necessarily need to, nor, nor perhaps right. is it helpful at that yeah. juncture? Cause we're just initiating help. Yeah. You're just, you're, but I think that's important to hear because mm-hmm. I, I, I and, and even almost back to some of what Chris was saying, I, there, yeah. there's this weird thing. Yeah. And, and I, I don't think that it is, um, it is only within the Christian culture. Um, but there is right. this weird um, thing that we do where many of us think that we need to start giving, like helping. Yeah, and, fixing. You know, and fixing. Yeah. And, 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 yeah. Um, I think it's important that for all of us listening right now, like that, that, yeah. that is above our pay grade. Some of those, some of those questions. Right? And, and even if it's within your pay grade, it's still not helpful. Right. That's, kind of, that's, yeah. that's what that's what I mean. Like within my pay grade, like relationship. Like yeah. sure, I, I I have I have permission relationally maybe yeah. to to know about these things. Yeah. But what I mean is is gathering that information and somehow then um, 
using my my experience and my broken wisdom to then mm. come up with some sort of, mm. of like solution mm. um, above and beyond like, mm. hey, let's sit and talk about this more. Hey, you know, have you talked to somebody else or okay. I mean, like, th- those kind of things we can okay. do. But when yeah. I let's say about my pay grade, I mean, like, like we're, I mean, we're talking about a, a, a computer mm. right in somebody's head and, mm. and I am not a technician. Right. Yeah. I, I, I might be able to say, like, yes, this this computer has a virus, but I I, I have to call I.T. Well, and <laughs> does, that, does that make sense? It definitely does. And um, the last thing and the thing I can't stand about many um, circles within the mental health profession is elitism and is um, arrogance that somehow we really do have the answers. Yeah, we have we have some research. We have some scientific methodology. Uh, but so much is said to invalidate uh, first responders. And I, that is the last thing I want to do. I want to really empower and encourage first responders to I respond. I love our healthy tension. Because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you hear it from what I'm saying, right? Yes. I, I think we're on the same page. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's I, both. I, we need the first responders. Yeah. We also just, we need to know, first responders need to know their limitations as well. Yeah. 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 And I think even in the first responder stage, sometimes we can air too quickly, um, especially if we've gone to recently to a mandated reporter um, training seminar, then, yeah. then it's really easy to mandated like as, scare soon, tactics, as yeah. soon as a kid says anything that seems scary, like you immediately like shut them down. You don't hear them out and you say, I need to call CPS immediately. Right. Um, instead of actually hearing them out. Um, and, and I think that um, there, there's like both extremes are bad, right? Like if, if we just stick to, I mean, if we just, if we're too quick, then we don't actually allow the student to feel heard. The rapport that yeah. the student thought that they had with us right. is totally violated yeah. and may even create like something deeper in, in whatever emptiness they are experiencing internally. Um, and on the flip side, I think that if we then try, um, I know that there are other tools that we can have and hopefully we'll get into some of that. But if we try to then deal with a situation with our conventional Christian enculturation tools, um, then I, I keep thinking about what, what you said a little bit ago about the, like that internal emptiness versus the external. And a lot of the advice and a lot of the counsel and encouragement that we try to give is still external. Um, yeah. we say, well, I mean, but you're so lucky. Look at the house that you were raised in. And like, and even, I mean, I don't want to minimize this theological truth, but when we say, but man, God loves you so much. And if that doesn't resonate inside of them, it's just another thing on the outside that is a meaningless piece of information that's floating around out there. That particular um, phrase and phrases like that, when I was going through um, my reaction and response to trauma, um, which, which was anger and depression and inward and outward. (laughs) Um, But my response was to be even more angry when I would get those things, um, it, it widened the gap. Yeah, it, yeah. Yeah. Because it was like, like almost back to like what you were asking before, like when you start talking, like, do you see them kind of just like check out? It's like, no, I'm trying to tell you I'm, I'm hurt. Yes. And I don't know how to tell you I'm hurt in this culture specifically. Right. And you're giving more, me more of your culture. Um, I, I don't, I mean, Chris alluded to that. Like when the, when the students come to us, almost like they want something from us as opposed to just us saying like, man, that sucks. I'll sit with you, right? I'll, I'll, I'll walk with you through this. Um, but man, yeah, I think that's so important. Um, and then think about the amount of us adults who have said that to whether it's youths or other adults. And we've, we've done some of that. And when, how ironic that when it's not received well and we're, our message is rejected, um, we even then turn that inwardly and, and think how even how much more that person is 
they're screwed up and we even ostracize them more. Yeah. And so when our, when our Christian anecdotes don't work. <laughs> right. Oh, there's yeah. a good book title. <laughs> yeah. And I think that podcast. we should do, we should. Um, <laughs> I, I think that some of those, what's hard though, is that a lot of our anecdotes, like theologically we, or like, I don't know, propositionally, we believe them to be true. Like we do believe that God loves that students. Right. We do believe that, um, God does have some sort of plan and uh, wants good for all of his creations. We, we do believe that, whether we're open theist or simple foreknowledge or a Calvinist, we do believe that some way his his sovereignty is working out um, goodness and peace and shalom and things to work out uh, all together in the end. We do believe that he can take terrible situations and make them better. However, I mean, if you've been in the Christian culture long enough, and I think a lot of our listeners have been, um, there are definitely times in life when even though we can affirm, I guess, ideologically, Yes, those are probably true statements. Um, there, there are still times in life where they just ring hollow and they're unhelpful and yeah. maybe even harmful because sometimes, even though it's true, when we have trouble believing it and feeling any effect as a result of them, mm-hmm. then it increases the amount of shame and there guilt we that we have for not right. believing them yeah. enough. I don't have enough faith, and so yeah. I'm even worse. And if you're there depressed, well, yeah. yep, sucks to be Clearly, you. you know, there's there's a whatever value judgment to follow upon that and it's it's very destructive very destructive have you ever experienced depression and also what percentage of your friends do you think are experiencing that here at our christian school i have never experienced depression at all but i feel like half of my friends i know may have gone through depression but like I don't know if they have or haven't because they don't talk about it and they want to keep to themselves. Uh, well, I've never experienced depression, uh, and I think a large amount of people because they don't like it's kind of hard to explain. It's just that some people don't know how to deal with it, and some people don't know how to go and tell an adult or like their friends because they're afraid they might get judged. Or some people may say, like, go to God, and that doesn't, they may think that it doesn't always work. So, yeah, they just, they're just, like, battling with it, and they don't want to talk about it, so they just shut everyone out. Uh, honestly, I can say I don't think I've ever experienced depression, just sometimes a sense of loneliness. But um, for the percentage, I think at least 20% of a Christian high school would be depressed. Uh, I personally have, and I've struggled with it, I'd say probably for about four years now. Um, and I'd say maybe around like 40% of students that I know at least probably go through the same struggles. But I think one thing that mainly we all do is we kind of put it away and don't bring light to it. And I don't think that's the best thing for it because it's not helping any of us. I think it really just makes our situation worse. Do you think? Do you think it's the Christian culture has anything to do with that? Like, do you think it's hard to talk about depression or, or ask for help within the Christian culture? I feel like it has something to do with it because us as Christians were like, I guess, stereotypical seen as like the happy people with like God praising this and that, and it's not like if we talk about kind of the sadness, it's like, oh well, why don't you just like go to God? Why aren't you like there? And it's kind of just this thing that's like guilt as to us. 
Yep. Yeah. I feel like I feel like we 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 potentially have four episodes here. Yeah. We but I, I like this because we're we, and we're we're talking about a subject too. Even some of the stuff that we're we're alluding to now is it's even how taboo of a subject. Yeah. Right. It is. It is. It's it's taboo, and it hints at something in Christian culture. It hints at something in um, Western culture that the your pain might be too much for me. Yeah. You know your yeah. pain might overwhelm me and either take what I tell you and go fix it or I have nothing for you. You know, it's, right. it's which, a very, which goes deeper into the depression. It definitely it's does. Very lonely. Um, loneliness. I'm glad we hit on that. Cause yeah. that's, that's one of the prominent things I would see in my work with, with teens. That's, I was going to say the thing I can remember when I go back to those, that those chapters of life for me was, was lonely. Hmm. Absolute, just yeah. lonely. The no one. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, you know what? What rings out the? Uh, I think is it the Kiersey Bates or My- Myers Briggs book that says, "Please understand me." Is that the mm. title of the book? I'm not sure. Is that Myers Briggs? Okay. Myers Briggs. Every time I see that title, I instantly go back to that those chapters of my uh-huh. life where, like, that's all I just I need somebody. Yeah. To I need. I don't even necessarily need to be on my side, right? Yeah. yeah. I just. Can someone tell me what the crud is going on? Yeah. And, and um, the statistics I've seen scare the, the bejesus out of me when mm. I hear the amount of our students that are probably, even the ones smiling right up front and yeah. have all the good little Christian answers yeah. very often. And um, I'd say, I, don't, I don't say that cynically, I'm sorry. But from what I'm seeing in research is telling me that, that so many of them are experiencing this loneliness and yeah. sadness and it is spiraling into depression. Yeah. And especially within, especially within the church, it seems like. Yeah. And so I, can I within all that, we, we, we've, we've brought up some stuff. I want to ask you a question because mm-hmm. this just came to my mind. The last, honestly, Nate, probably the last 10 conversations I've had with students this year and we're, I think we're only in week four. So probably at least 10 where I have I have suggested counseling and suggested therapy in, in some of our discussions, um, all of them are afraid, right? And so I, I want to talk about this a little bit. So they're all afraid, um, and for any number of reasons. Um, but one that comes up a lot that I hear is the and it, it comes with the stigma again and the, and the tabooness, if that's a word. Um, but you know, Mr. Randolph, in, in my in my family, we don't we don't show yeah, we don't do we that. don't show weakness. Yeah. And, you know, my rebuttal often is like, hey, you, you were sick last week and, and you went to the doctor, right? And you got medicine for that. Yeah. So, like, like, what is it? You know, and, you know, I'm talking to a 16 or 17-year-old, but um, can, we, can we touch on that for a second? I mean, I'm sure this is probably a big one for you. What, yeah. what do we say as we're like, I get it. Okay. Yeah, I get it. That might, might be hard, but, yeah. but this is important. Or, yeah, yeah. Like just, I mean, you get where I'm going, hopefully. That, yeah, definitely. And it's such a difficult one. I mean... I've done the intakes (laughs) and I know therapy is indicated Uh, and, but I know there's already a preset agenda and I mean, to cut to the chase, there's no magic thing to say, obviously to, to cut through years and layers and generational, uh, you know, culturally laden, um, preferences, assumptions, as far as what, 
what healing technology is suited to this. You can think about psychotherapy as a healing technology. That's um, a book called, I think it's called Constructing the Self, um, you know, a very kind of postmodern type of look at it. But if you look at different healing technologies throughout cultures, you're going to find many, many different things. And this is the one that's kind of surfaced for us in our, our Western culture. And even in the state of California versus other states, it's somewhat easier here to to transcend that than in other places uh it's more normalized yeah so normalizing is is what you're trying to do when that's the healing technology that you have to offer Mm -hmm. um and why do we suggest counseling it's like well you like you need a relational safe space that's private to be able to work through these things you don't have to be weak to step into that right that's not a requirement. And, and that's what I'm curious about because Wayne even mentioned like it's, it's this, our family doesn't show weakness. Is that, yeah. it, I mean, is that really the main, in your experience, I mean, the, I guess this is more of a sociology mm-hmm. question than a, than a psychology question, but is that what it is? Is it not wanting to show weakness? Is it stigma? Is it mm-hmm. image management? Mm-hmm. Or um, is there, I don't know. I, I even remember kind of being in some more like conservative Christian circles in which like psychology is seen almost like as yeah. like antichrist, maybe not the antichrist, sure. but it, it is, yeah, it's in the, <laughs> sure. it's in the same family, right? Yeah. Like yeah. is what, what's the heart of that drive against, I guess, self-discovery and self-understanding, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know about question. the heart of it because I, th- I think when we start trying to get at the heart of it, we're going to parse things according to our um, unique experiences as, um, you know, for the three of us as, as males and what right, other, right. you know, cultural identifiers specify our, our lens and our viewpoint. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm pretty quick to attribute it. I, I, I lean more in the sociological realm. That's like mm-hmm. a lot of stuff that I, I studied in. Not that I'm a, a wise in it or anything, but that's that's my bent. Mm-hmm. Um, I lean more towards like our society at large, so values um, almost to God status um, individualization. Yeah. Um, that yeah, rigid the, individualism. Yeah, and yeah. so and so in 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 having to confess that I might have a weakness means that you know this this competitive game that you know because I'm I'm in competition. Yeah, I'm, I'm a conflictualist. Yeah. yeah, so I'm I'm in competition with everybody else. We all have kind of like some yeah. skin in the game, so to speak. And so, it, one, if I admit failure, that that weakens me. Um, but also, too, then like asking somebody else for help. Yeah, that's really hard yeah. in our individualistic. Uh, our, um, I don't think that that's 100 percent the reason, but I mean, I, I see us constantly fighting those kind of ideas. I, um, I see that a lot, uh, us finding that within the Christian realm, because yeah. that seems to be um, uh, contradictory to, to yeah. kingdom ethics, right? That, that's more of the we and the us. Um, but it, yeah, just throwing some crap out there, sorry. Yeah, and I think with the, the Christian stuff as well, I can even think of, uh, I've been really self-critical lately, like I've been on a kind of an introspective bent. Um, but even thinking about some of the things that I'll, like, for example, we'll talk about research about how the public perceives us as Christians so as to get people to behave differently, right? Like, the, I, I can't remember, I can't think of how many times I've, like, quoted Barn, the Barna research right. um, that talked about how um, Christians are hypocritical, judgmental, and anti-gay. And of like, those are the first things that people think of when they think of Christians, and we really need to work on our image. I might have said that this week, um, which is all about, like, correct your behavior then so that Christians have a better image and then if we have a better image then people will like jesus but then 
like, I, I think that there's truth in that, but then at the same time, I'm communicating something under that message that's saying, manage your image, manage your image. That's what's most important. Mm. Maybe don't become substantial people, but make sure that our image looks good so that more people will pray the prayer and then heaven will be more full. So maybe cynically, when I am giving advice to students, I'd say you need therapy. Um, You actually need to go to an image consultant. (laughs) Is this what we're going to start calling it? Might be more Ooh, acceptable. That was, that was <laughs> I don't know. Is that too? <laughs> no, but I mean, I mean, you get you kind of hear the heart of what we're asking. Yeah. It's like, man, how how do we how yeah. do we navigate it in the mix of a weird and and back to the asking questions? Like, well, what do you mean weak? What do you mean by that? What what does it mean to you to show weakness? Yeah. And as as they start to open it up, wow, you know, it's 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 just gotten a little bit looser. Yeah. Okay, open up that that knot of meaning right there. Mm. What do you mean by weakness? What does weakness mean in your family? And just get them thinking. Get them yeah. thinking about it. Yeah, I love that too because I, I think ideally that's how we teach is a little bit more Socratically like that. Yeah. Like helping kids arrive at the conclusion on their yeah. own it seems to be far more powerful. Yeah, and um, it's a therapeutic technique. Socratic dialogue, cognitive behavioral therapy. Very well evidence supported. So well, Us guys with know. beards use it too. So, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> Feel free. Um, oh, I had another question for you. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, this was what a rebuttal I got uh, actually just a couple of days ago. Um, the student obviously has, very obviously has, has like relational issues with, 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 with mom. And so when we started talking through stuff and asking about therapy, um, after telling me how broken she is as a result of her broken mother, said, if I was to ask my mom if I could go to therapy, she would say, just let me help you. I have survived, so let me just help you. Mm. So again, it's that kind of like, no, we can just we can do it ourselves. Yeah, um, I know. I know we're not going to necessarily get an answer mm-hmm. uh, on this one with you, Nate. But I, I think this is one that comes up a lot because um, it's like, man, I, I finally feel like okay, we have the relationship. I feel okay to say I think you need therapy. And I, mm-hmm. I feel like I can present that yeah. in the context of our relationship, and it doesn't have to be kind of a scary presentation. But yeah. um, we are constantly, yeah. Um, for the amount of kids that I've told that need to go, yeah. that I think that they need to see a therapist, mm-hmm. I, I bet you the success rate of them actually even taking that first step is maybe 10%. Yeah. And I don't feel that that's okay. Um, or, so, I don't know. Tell me, like, on our parenting one that I just have to do it 70% of the time and I'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. You, you cannot force something that someone's not, not ready for, obviously. Right. Um, but I know that we want to be more prepared. With with that situation, what I've I've... You know, even distancing it from that situation, I've run into similar things in, in, you know, my office when I was in clinical work is, you know, my mom tries to talk to me. My mom does ask me, but I don't feel like she gets it. I don't feel like she can understand. Yeah, back to that, some of that connection stuff that you yeah. talked about last time. Yeah. And some of that is part of development. May not be wanting your mom's understanding. You may not be wanting that from her right then and it would be great you know if you could take that in it would be great if that did help you and support you and transform you but if it doesn't then well what's next you know it's kind of that open-ended question so can you receive your mom's help maybe maybe not and back to this kind of getting them thinking kind of things like, okay, well, can you give it a try? My, my big pitch to, uh, adolescents at the end of an intake was give it 
four sessions. If after four sessions it's not for you, all right. You make your decision. You know, you have the right to do that. That's something you need to be learning to do for yourself is to make decisions. This is not something you've experienced before. If you make a decision without adequate information, it's not good decision making. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's good logic. So I'll put my that's as strong and as directive as I, you know, will typically be unless there's issues of self-harm and suicidality, which is probably another episode. Um, <laughs> but, um, and an that important one actually one will be that. called uh, above my pay grade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that's an intense one, oh, but that's yeah, part and is. parcel with teen depression. I got to tell you, it really oh, is as, and, as and I'm sure you guys it, know. Unfortunately, way too much. I, yeah. um, every year that I've taught and I think I'm on year yeah. 10 or 11, I've and, called And CPS. I very much mean that to, normalize and de-shame it but not normalize and encourage it no yeah um but it's it's absolutely tragic it's not and it's it's getting harder for kids to be teens it's getting much much harder yeah um so to destigmatize help as a first responder if there's a a, hey just give it a try maybe it's not Mm -hmm. for you fine then you know it's not for you Okay, if uh, if you're going to get get teased within your family, this is the other big one, especially for for males. Uh, If you're going to get teased like, oh, you're going to therapy in certain cultures, Nate. Yes, that's that's one that I run into a lot, too. They're like, oh, that's enough. But you don't understand my culture. Like, we don't do that. Yeah. And I think that's where, uh, you know, psychologists and mental health professionals like myself need to take a a bit of humble pie and say, Mm. "Okay, we don't have the corner on helping everyone. Sure. Sure. We really don't. I have a, a, a quick follow-up, and I know Chris wants to ask you a question as well, but with, with this idea of, of encouraging kids to go to therapy and, and getting all the, the negative rebuttals, um, I I will off, also offer to the kids, like, hey, I don't know what this looks like in our situation, mm. but if I can be an assistance, you know, if, if you need me there for encouragement when you talk to mom and dad, um, yeah. if you need me to, like... That's great. Is that, is, okay, that's what I was going to yeah. ask. And no, I, that's I'm, really I'm great. not really looking for endorsement, but like, yeah. is that an okay thing to, like to take my role in our relationship into that next step. Most kids will actually, again, say no. Yeah, they, they probably really will. They probably will. They they don't want to lose the, you. they don't want to kind of like poison the well. They don't want to taint the support that they mm. feel. And the only other precaution I would really express is be mindful of the triangle that you're creating you know triangles make all of us nervous but they are really strong structures if you can you know kind of arrange them in the correct manner right if all the angles are working together sure um i'm i am going to channel my middle-aged ornery person inside of me and say oh boy um uh, but man Sometimes it just seems like they're seeking attention. Yeah, um, there we go. Yeah, sometimes, I mean, they they act depressed. They change the clothes they wear. They put on a little bit darker makeup. Um, maybe if they're a boy or a girl. Uh-huh. Um, they they listen to a different style of music, and they carry their bodies a little bit differently. And, mm-hmm. I mean, it just seems like they just want attention. Mm-hmm. Um, like, and, I mean... I guess a more charitable way of saying attention seeking is a cry for help or whatever. Um, But to an extent, like I I can, if I'm channeling this, this voice inside of me and like to, in all fairness, like this is like, it's a smaller voice than the compassionate voice we've been trying to use this whole time. But it's there in the back of my mind that sometimes I'm like, okay, well, is this because like you, you feel like you, you need to be more in the spotlight. And especially when it's like, 
I think that a lot of schools, especially Christian schools, because there's these like little, it's almost like small town feel that like everybody knows everybody's stuff. Like there's some of these usual suspects that are like right at the center of all the drama and it's about how sad they are and they're always crying or whatever. Um, and then like, so, so how do we, I mean, how would you respond to and and you can take your you can take the gloves off if you need to with this part of my soul because he probably needs yeah, a good a good beating yeah punch that part of my soul it's fine um, but like how, how do you respond to like yeah they're just attention seeking like but like if you give them attention I'll just feed it and then it'll get worse mm-hmm. what does it do to you when they seek attention well it's really inconvenient like if I'm, if I'm gonna be totally honest yeah. Right? Yeah, like yeah. It, it interrupts the flow of class and activities. Yeah. If that, like, those students need to like process through their grief again yeah. um, instead so of it's disruptive. Yeah, right? sure. There's a, a a diagnosis called disruptive behavior disorder, uh, which is very general, isn't it? Um, <laughs> There's something I, even, I would even add in with it is is there there are types of kids yeah. that we we interact with yeah. who who seem like we watch them. We, I mean, we watch them for four years from, yeah. from, from 12, 13 to about 17, 18. Mm-hmm. Like those are some pretty crazy years mm-hmm. that we watch them. And so we watch kids, um, change every few weeks. And we know, we know that that's kind of normal, but we watch those kids who are seem to be every, every group they're moving into looking for attention. Yeah. Um, or you've kind of within that too, you've got the kid who will often come to you and it's the same story. Like they're stuck in a rut and it's like, we're, we're saying the same things to them. Um, and so it's like this, this, it's not really going anywhere. Yeah. I'm getting cynical. Like, what is this? Yeah. Um, the, the very, very I hijack your question. valid side of, of what we're kind of leaning into here is that do I reinforce with quote unquote empathy or care or concern this undesired behavior pattern of acting out in whatever form or or function um many behaviors and even emotions are instrumental they're designed to get a reaction and so if we merely just gratify if we merely just give what appears to be desired if we just give attention we're going to get more of of that behavior because we've reinforced we've asked it. asked for more by by reinforcing. Yeah, it. and so obviously it does. And this is where a lot of, um, I think, a lot of parents, um, in a, in a very valid manner, get frustrated with therapists. It's like, I just take them to you. You tell them everything you want to. He- they want to hear. They come back to me, and I'm the bad guy. So why am I going to keep bringing them to you? You just tell them that I'm the bad guy. You just tell them that, well, you know, you just need to love your kid more. You just need to do this more, that more. And for many parents, it's, hey, I've tried that. This This is not working. I'm just getting more of the same. Right. So, so the question is, how do you, what do you do differently than just gratify or just reinforce that behavior? And, you know, this is where it definitely gets more individualized and more subjective. Far more situational, right? Yeah. At an essential level, though, you really have to get beneath it. You have to do what's, you know, deep empathy. And deep empathy usually has at least two parts to it. And this is one thing that I, I really wanted us to harp on is ambivalence. Ambivalence mm. is 
you know, ambi like ambidextrous, right? It's both. You can you can you know bat from both sides or yeah. whatever. You're left-handed and right-handed. Um, it's both feelings. It's like I both want to and I don't, and I do and I don't. And a lot of this I find in depression because what can that leave you? It can leave you very stuck, and that oftentimes will put the tension back into the student or the client's box and say, you know, hey, on one hand, you really do still feel angry or sad about the relationship you lost, the way that your parents don't understand you. And on the other hand, you don't know what to do about it. So it keeps coming back up. Yeah, no, I do. I really do. Absolutely. And and when you feel that way, this is what happens. Mm. And you don't know what to do about it. And so you keep trying. And you keep seeking ways to, to fit in or, or seeking ways to gain support. But it's never enough. Mm. All of the attention in the world that you can get is never enough. So obviously, man, if it was going to work by now, wouldn't it have... Mm. And you can usually kind of get some buy-in on that. If if this was going to work for you, wouldn't it have worked by now? Yeah, you know, I appreciate you saying that because it it um, it kind of brings logic in when um, again, you know, speaking from my my own experience with some of these emotions, it brings logic in when it feels like you're ruled only by by melancholy. Yeah, so it, it kind of brings that logic in. Because one of the things I noticed, Nate, for me in, in, in that transitionary like healing process where I, I, I finally accepted the rope that was being thrown to me mm. um, was having to recognize that the only thing that I actually knew as a constant in my life was my melancholy. Yeah. That everything oh, else, yeah. Depression becomes a friend. Yeah. And, it, and it, yeah. so it's, it's, it's it, everything else seems unknown. And I know this. And even though I don't like this, I am learning how to cope. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm learning how to deal with this, and so I, yeah. but I don't know how to get get out of it. And so, yeah, that's interesting that idea. And you didn't, you didn't even really go too much into I, I think deep empathy, but even just mm-hmm. for us to to think about mm-hmm. that, like yeah. these kids that are coming and yeah. whether it's seeking attention or they're stuck in this like pattern yeah. that we've seen them in for yeah. two or three years. And that would um, be how I would leverage right. something like therapy. Right. You need someone who can get beneath what everyone else is yeah. seeing. We've been talking about this for years now. And, and like, get like, you to where you can actually arrive at a deeper understanding of yourself and yeah. a way to make yourself understood. Yeah. It's just mm-hmm. in the same regard as teens want to be understood, they also are bearing more responsibility for making themselves understood. Mm-hmm. And that has a huge complex developmental history. Like how well do you signal your needs all the way back to the infancy stuff? Wow. How well do you signal it? Is it picked up on? Was it missed and how bad and how long? And do you even care to try, you know, yeah. anymore? Yeah. And I think at the high school level, um, Wayne and I will have these students for four years. Um, yeah. and that's, that's a good amount of history to see some of these cycles develop. Um, but something that I see, um, coming up a lot um, is students who have even more history. Like some of these kids have been going to school with their friends since kindergarten. Okay. Um, and um, I almost more often get, um, I guess, sol- solicitations for help from friends of people who they think are going through depression. Oh, okay. Like, wow. yeah, Jimmy or Susie, like, man, it's just the same crap over and over mm-hmm. and over again. And they're dealing with this thing again. And I just, 
like I've told them this and I just don't know what to do anymore. Yeah. And so, I mean, for us as adults and mentor figures, we can take a, a particular posture. We can play the logic game. We can get yeah. them to engage their minds and try to do some of the empathetic stuff from like a, a mentorship, almost authority, um, sage type role. Um, but man, I, I know that some students are listening to this. So like what, okay. what do they do? Like what do peers mm. do? Yeah. Cause I mean, oh, it, they're also first responders, really but they are like, important. but they probably feel even less qualified, right? Like how do they respond when they, they feel like their friends stuck in a rut and they don't know what to do? Yeah. Such a good question. Um, and so to throw my, Enneagram type out there as well as a, as a, as a, a two, the helper. I know it's a big shock, um, <laughs> to everybody. Um, yeah. And there's, there's students like, like myself back in high school who would really thrive on those needs, but it is overwhelming and you do lose yourself in it. You, Quickly. you do. And, and you do get preoccupied with it and, um, with the overabundance of communication means these days and uh, bullying means these days, there's just yep. infinite opportunities for things to go really, really horribly wrong. Quickly. And it's so overwhelming. I mean, it's part of the reason we're having this podcast is because, wow, this is complex for, for us as adults. Yeah. You know, all the more to, to validate how difficult it is for for teens with with friends who are depressed, um, I guess the first thing I would I would probably say to, um, and I, I've I've said this to clients I've had in the past is it's okay to have limits. You know, it it really is important to be able to say in a loving way, I am here for you mm-hmm. and I am your friend and. I don't know what to say and how to help right now. I'm not, I'm not so raw when kids can do that. Yeah. It's like, I'm not leaving you. Like, don't hear me because they're going to experience the same thing. You guys do is their friend retreating inside themselves. They're going to feel very abandoned in these kinds of things. There's so much guilt, right? I, I mean, I've, I've worked with, teens who have had friends, you know, commit suicide and these different things. And I see what it does in their, in their, hearts, minds, bodies, souls, it's, it's so, um, prolifically destructive and painful. Mm. And so making sure that they know when to not take on those burdens Mm -hmm. is so painful and tough. Um, Gosh, I feel almost like, um, half of my talks around the subject of depression are either with the subject or it's the friend and encouraging the friend how to proceed. And yeah, how, and how how to help them not become codependent in the yeah. in the process, right? Yeah, which is kind of what you're alluding to there. Yeah, yeah. and I would limits. encourage my clients at times, like, hey, look where you are. How yeah. did you get here? How did you make the decision to come here? How did mm. you end up doing that for yourself? Mm. And to really prize and empower yeah, the 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 great thing that they're doing for themselves and overcoming these fears because mm. it's so normal to be nervous to go to therapy i mean it's like yeah. you're gonna like give me shots or what are you gonna do to me all these like <laughs> yeah. you know primitive fantasies from when we were little kids and whatever right. um yeah it's really normal and yet if i'm sitting there talking with that person wow they they've done it. it's like you can share from your experience yeah. 
how you got here and what's what's happened for you. Yeah, and and I think uh, one of the things that's specifically difficult for those. Um, students in our Christian school, like I, I think that a lot of the ones who want to be the most helpful are the ones who have like the strongest, um, I guess, sense of spirituality um, and the greatest admiration for Jesus, who was then like he was seen um, at, I mean, he was crucified for hanging out with the undesirables, yeah. the one who were messed up, the ones who were messed up and who had all of these problems. And he, um, he associated with them and helped them through their stuff. He discipled them. He walked with them. Um, and I think that for a lot of our students, um, the idea of like having limits, um, almost needs to be a truth that settles in that, that, yeah, they're not the Messiah. And I think that even my, I, I need to hear this sometimes as a Bible teacher that like, that that was Jesus's job to be the Messiah. And my job is to be, Right. the most faithful version of Chris that I can be. Yeah. Um, and for our students as well, like, yeah, they're, they are not the Holy spirit. Um, <laughs> and they are not a psychologist and all they can do is be the best version of themselves. And even the way you modeled that rawness of like, yeah, I'm going to be, I'm going to help you and walk with you, but I don't even know what that looks like. And I don't even know what to say, but I'm going to yeah. stay with you. Like that's, yeah. that's vulnerable and real and, Maybe that's the thing that when we're quoting John three sixteen that that the student actually needs to hear. Hmm. I like that a lot. Um, that's mic drop, Chris. That's yeah, good man. It's good stuff. It's it's validating. It's true, right? We we do have a limitation as to what we can give and how and how much and how often, and that transcends pay grade i would even say yeah right you know it really does um we could all have have a bit more humility for what we're what we're up against and trying to help someone uh with depression uh to step in to step in boldly and to step in um graciously is is one thing but to step in with a need to fix or a need to be successful that's not great <laughs> yeah no really and I, I i love kind of what, what what you're saying there and even you know as we're kind of wrapping this up um and this is we're not done i mean we're, we're gonna we're gonna talk about this one we're gonna, we're gonna keep going for some for some other episodes for sure but um and wrapping this up I, I think one thing that i think is so important for um for all of us in the in the the christian family um and th- maybe this is kind of tying that last episode together is um maybe one of the reasons we are okay with fake joy mm. and, or, you know, the motive there to, to, to put on the face is because we really are afraid yeah. of, of darkness and we're afraid of, yeah. of fear. And, um, I would even guess, you know, I, 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 I don't know everybody's mind, but I would even guess like even, even at a salvation level for some people, you know, to experience mm-hmm. darkness and, and fear and loneliness, that might really mess with their, even their understanding of salvation. Like, where am I? Am, am I fully abandoned? And, yeah. um, just, just in the, in the talk. And as we're talking about how, how do we navigate this in a healthy way? Um, I'm reminded of a quote, um, from, uh, Richard Rohr. Yeah. Uh, and I, I just, I think this is gorgeous. You know, I, I almost wish that we would have started with this, but, uh, he says, darkness is a good and necessary teacher. It is not to be avoided, denied, run from, or explained away. Yes. It just I, I like that quote because yeah. it's like yeah okay so don't be afraid of it yeah. so like 
I think part of what we're even discussing is how do we embrace, yeah. um, you know, our, our this long DNA that we come from this Christian family. That, yeah. This whole idea of the dark night of the soul, mm-hmm. um, as scary as it was to navigate, it was actually something that produced yeah. um, maturity and character, and, mm-hmm. and it wasn't something to be arrayed, uh, run away from, but yeah. maybe run straight into, but just mm-hmm. fully equipped and, yeah. and with people by your side, huh? Yeah. My um, clients who were teens and who uh, struggled with depression were some of the people that I was impacted by the most and just the the depth and um grasp that they had on on deep things of of life and of existence um it's just amazing you know if 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 you rotate the the prism just slightly you you see a different light in in um these people and I, I have, you know, their faces and, and names and stories going through my mind right now. And, um, you know, as, as I was kind of mentally preparing for our, our talk tonight, I started thinking about, you know, these children, these adults that I've encountered over the years. And, um, you know, they stay with me and they stay with me in a healthy way, not in a way that I'm preoccupied with it or, um, you know, have problems about it. But, but the stories do. You know, yeah, and I, I think that is, it's right to remember, it's right to appreciate. Yeah. And, um, you know, I guess I just would really want to honor that memory yeah. and continue to, to live in honor of it because, wow, like what a, what a privilege, what a sacred privilege to be invited in to that story and invited into that, um, that dialogue with someone's journey. Yeah. Yeah. And, I think that what's interesting is that the uh, fear of that darkness and the fear of that part of the journey um, is so against the heart of the faith that we embody. I mean, if we think about, like, if you ask even a, a third grader, what's the gospel? Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And so if the central point of our entire faith is that God came in flesh and died and in the process of dying cries out, why have you forsaken me and goes like earth probably has not seen a darker moment than God himself getting executed at the hands of messed up people, like existentially doubting God in that moment. Um, that, that is the darkest moment, but it's the center of what our faith even is, right? It's, that's what, what it is. And it's, we don't run from the cross. We wear them. We wear crosses around our necks as, um, as a religion. And I think that it's not, I don't think that that, like, I think sometimes I used to make fun of that, but I'm like, no, that is the symbol of, of joy. The symbol of joy is not running from the cross, but like looking straight into it and embracing it. And kind of like you were saying, being able to turn that gem and see the light that is actually there that the rest of the world can't see. And so for all of you who are, man, for some of you who are listening to this, who are right in the middle of depression, um, there is no, there are no words that we can say to you um, that will be adequate. Um, but I can say that we, we honor you um, for, for the light that you are casting um, in this world, in your own journey, in your own struggle. Um, and encourage you, and I would encourage you to bring others into 
this conversation with you into your journey with you. And for those of you who are walking with people, um, struggling with working through depression, maybe having some of these de- depressive sim- symptoms, I, um, I hope that you can take some of these words and know that you are not the Messiah, but man, you can be a person who walks right next to that person and is there for them, is raw and real and authentic. 